right side. Light this bitch up. is up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is black bolt it's rapper day on black bolt but this one's a little bit special um and there's a couple reasons why one we are from the same area an area called durham region where my friend nigel williams who was one of the best rappers i've ever known lovingly refers to as the mecca of hip-hop but the other reason why this interview is going to be special for me is because I have uh, the opinion that this man is a standalone product in Canada um, because of his entrepreneurialism. I've never seen anything like that in this country. Um, I mean, Drake does it to uh, a, a certain level and he's uh, largely international, but at a domestic level and the, the, the amount of moves that this man has made is something that uh, I think a lot of young up and comers need to take note of. So I'm really excited to have on the show with us today. His name is Peter Jackson. Peter, what's up, buddy? What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I, I'm told by people that you're you're humble, um, that you 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 know you don't get emotional or anything like that. Um, but I, I got to tell you, the the entrepreneurial aspect of what you do, I, I, I'm interested in where that came from. Um, where you got your business savvy from um, because there I, I can't think of any other uh, hip-hop artist that has been able to sort of um, overlap the entrepreneurial stuff with the with the artistry I, I'm just curious where that came from you think um in life I would say my parents um you know my mom had like I don't know my mom ran like probably three businesses at one time. Um, I remember my dad working like two, two, like a factory job and a warehouse job, becoming a manager of, um, a big company. Like my parents always worked really hard. Um, and then for me, just, you know, growing up in, in, in the music side, like not on the family and like real life side, I'd say it was like a Jay-Z, like paying attention to these guys that were really like actually doing business. And, you know, that's that's something that my first manager always said to me. It's not show friends, it's show business. And yeah, you know, it's 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 really kind of um, interesting for for a bunch of reasons, too. One is because um, the the, uh, the the music industry, the labels when we were growing up in like the 90s and the 2000s, they didn't know what they were doing. I feel like they should be. I, they still don't. Yeah. I feel like you should be their consultant or something because. You've been able to sort of, and I don't want to give away, you know, your ingredient, your secret ingredients or whatever, but you know, it, it feels like you were able to take what it is that you do at a production level and as a, as a, as a MC, and you found a way to take touring and, um, and turn that into like a whole business model where you often, um, do collabs with the people that you bring up to tour across this country. Don't you? Yeah. See, it kind of works it kind of works both ways with that. Like, you know, sometimes like with the Millie's record I just did, I flew out to Boston. I did a record with Millie's. Um, I shot a video with Millie's and then we booked a run. Like after we got to know each other, because, you know, me and him are, are very, we have, we have a lot of similarities. So 
you know, for the two of us to meet is probably a good idea before we decide to do business. And I did the same thing with Yale. I, I, um, you know, I obviously growing up, I thought I was part of G unit when I was a kid, it was everything <laughs> I loved was, was 50 and those guys. So, yeah. um, I flew to New York. I did a record with Yale. We got along like really well. And then it's like, it almost puts like an extra stride in my step to like, want to put a tour together for somebody. Um, where it's like, yo, I, I really like Yale. Like, you know, I really like this person or whoever it is. And, and it kind of gives me like an extra, you know, an extra reason to, to, to why I would do something because everybody always says business isn't personal, but for me, business is extremely personal. Yeah, I think you're onto something there too because I, I've seen. I don't. I'm not going to put anyone on blast and, and name names here, but I, I've seen collabs with people when uh, and I kind of wasn't feeling the track, and then you find out later that they never even met, right? They did. That's they, normal they, though. It is normal, but I mean, like it's you know you, can you feel it. Yeah, like there's no like. I mean, if you it, it, listen, like we've all heard collabs where um, you know you can. You, and and it's fine that you compartmentalize the 16 bars on each verse um, because there is no real connecting tissue except maybe the hook, but there isn't really a vibe that <clears throat> that connects those artists together. Yeah. But I think that when you go to Boston and meet Millie's and then you drop your track and video, you can tell that you guys have had some time together, right? Like you can tell that there's some sort of like established, like, you know, respect there. And that yeah. matters, doesn't it? hundred percent. I mean, you know, my record with Sizzla Kalanji, um, we redid it when we got to Jamaica. So, you know, we actually like totally went and redid that first. And that was like, prob that wasn't my first collab, but that was one of my first big ones. And we were in Kingston and we just got along so well. He took me to King Jammy's house, uh, which was a big studio. I recorded a couple records for Sizzla's albums as well. And then we actually redid the song that I came there to do. So, yeah, you're right. It, it can work that It can work both ways. Or, you know, when I did my video with Trey songs, that's the most fun I ever had on set, you know? So yeah. it's like, we just, we just really got along. So I think it's, it's, it's better to meet the people or it's, you know, better to be in the studios. And that's the same thing too. I toured with Naughty by Nature for, we must've been 15, 16 days in. That was probably my second national tour ever. And I was, I was really young and, um, Right before we got back to Ontario, Tretch pulled me aside and he's like, when we get back to, to Toronto, I'll, I want to go to one of your studios. So it worked that way too, right? And he's one of the, like, listen, I, I'm one of those purists. Right? Like, I, I need a lyricist in my life in order to feel complete. Tretch is, is like, for me, one of the greatest MCs of all time. Like, yeah. he, he was doing, yeah, his just... patterns were undiscovered until he found them, right? Back in the day. Yeah, Eminem says he's the best rapper ever. Really, I don't know. Eminem that. said Tretch is the greatest. Is is the greatest? Yeah. You have kind of, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Like you're a Canadian boy, I get it. But like you kind of have an, an Americanized way of handling your business, and 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 it seems to me, I haven't. I mean, I put Drake aside for a bunch of reasons. It's not a hating thing, but I put him aside. But like you seem to connect with these American rappers like I've never seen a Canadian rapper do before. Is that something that you've noticed or other people have told you? Like, and when I listen to your music, it sounds like sometimes it sounds like you're from Miami. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's like you have a certain sound that separates yourself from like a lot of the artists in this country. Is that an intentional thing or is that organic? Um, I think it's definitely organic. I mean, I think that um, 
my hustle is very American because yeah. a lot of people in, in Canada just don't, you know, they're just, they're looking for like what, what Canada laid out as the infrastructure when I'm creating my infrastructure mm. and I'm, and I'm helping create a bigger infrastructure within the country. And I think that I've watched, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of things that people have done right here. And I've watched a lot of things that people have done wrong here in my, in my opinion. And, you know, I've, I'm, yeah, I would say it's an Americanized hustle. And I mean, I don't know what my music sounds like, but I know it's really about me because I don't make music a lot of times for other people. I make it to kind of deal with what I'm going through and like to kind of like, it started just for, Hey, this is for my friends. Like the first record I ever made was because my best friend was killed. And I, I wanted to, I was, I said I would do the eulogy at the funeral. And instead of doing the eulogy, I did a record. So oh, wow. I found a way to always do what I wanted to do. So I don't have the pressure of like, you know, I have, I have two different records that hit billboard one that hit the top three on billboard and one that hit the um, top 30. And then I've got, um, I've got my first gold record finally. And then, you know, I've, I've had some success, but I don't have like that monster monster everybody knows it record but the thing about me is i get money like like i got multiple hits yeah so like well, that's I, what i mean yeah yeah sorry go ahead yeah i've i've really built i've really built a business and career beyond you know chasing chasing a hit so i'm not really chasing anything i'm just kind of doing exactly what i want to do there's a there's like a, a proverb that escapes me right now but that but that whole idea the concept of being on the right path is is just sort of like following your truth and then the rest will come and you you kind of have that vibe you were talking as well about your life and how you you kind of like you, you sounded like a true singer songwriter there you know like uh, um, they get all the credit for for making their songs with guitars that they sing that's about their life but but you really nailed it i think um i'm gonna play uh the first like minute or so of a uh, track you did with millie's uh, the all i ever wanted track and then and I'll pivot, you know what I'm going to pivot into after that, but we're just going to take a look at that here. For my puppy and do a big dog Same time, hope you heal up Hope you're right, cause right now life's too much My pop dog, I think I'm going nuts Thousand messages, the city said I'm blowing up you Gotta face your fear alone, that's part of growing up Mama crying on his casket, had to pick her up Really all alone, thinking I ain't doing enough Was in between four walls, it was only us Papa told me to protect everything out of love Don't cry for me, son, I pray you live it up Lost my mentor, died last week Seven months, 15 days, no sleep Suffocation, I can't breathe Mob shit, head of the family, it's on me So when I die, my son will mourn me My biggest fear in life is losing my family So when I die, my daughter gon' mourn me And the only thing I wanted was for you to never name And all I ever wanted was survival And all I ever yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about like first of all, dope track, and I love the hook and the, uh, the line that I wanted to talk to you about because we both know this man, knew this man. Well, I'd say know this man, um, is uh, 
you know, your mentor died last, my mentor died last week, you said, and uh, that mentor, talk about him for a second. Cause I, I you know, I, I, anytime I have the opportunity to talk about him on this podcast, I, I always take advantage of that. I appreciate that. First and foremost, that yeah. you do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I think you're the, I, I know, I know a bunch of people do know that's about him, but I think a lot of people assume that's about my father. Cause I said my dad, I said my father right before that. So I feel like a lot of people don't realize that's about Sheldon. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sheldon Moore, um, DJ S love was, was my engineer for like 15, not 15 years, 10, 10 years, maybe 11 years. Um, I met him backstage at a classified concert that I snuck into when I was like 15, um, 16 years old. And, uh, yeah, just Sheldon helped me a lot. Yeah, man. Sheldon, uh, you know, Sheldon was super good to me, took me in like a lot of people. And that's the crazy thing when Sheldon passed, I thought me and him had this, um, this relationship that only we had. And then I realized that everybody at the funeral thought they had that relationship with him. And, you know, that to me was, that made me like extremely happy. I'm not somebody to like feel a way about that where I was just like, oh, wow, this guy really touched a lot of people. Um, Cause he made a lot of people that aren't comfortable in a lot of places, like, you know, doing what I do, you know, and being, you know, what some people would say, a white hip hop artist from the suburbs. When I first started, the you know, white people didn't like it and African-Americans didn't like it. So it was like I was in this weird place when I first started where it was like I had to make everybody really believe in me. And I had to make people like a lot, not even believe in me, take me serious. And, um, you know, Sheldon made a lot of us feel comfortable. A lot of us feel welcome. His wife, um, his daughter was my flower girl. She's like, I rode to my wedding in a Rolls Royce with just his daughter. I made everybody else go in all the limos and, and I just, I just went with just her. And I think she was like four years old at that time. Yeah. And because she, she meant everything to me. Like yeah, she man. still, she still does. She still does. And um, uh, yeah. You know, I didn't tell you this uh, when we, when we spoke before this interview, but um, the last conversation I had with Sheldon um, was about say like maybe a month before he passed and the, uh, and your name came up. And, you know, he was so proud of you. Uh, he was, um, we were talking about all of the artists that have been through his booth over the years. And he brought you up and he was like, I could feel it through the phone, brother. Like he, he loved you. And he was so proud of what you were doing. And he actually mentioned to me that thing that you guys had a little disagreement over the sound that you were, the, the path that you were going on. And it was amazing to hear him, like, without even taking a breath, being like, but you can't argue with success, man. You can't argue with success. Like, I'm so proud of that guy. So he's, he had your back until the end, you know? Like, and, and you know, I think um, you guys had a great relationship. And Sheldon, uh, and he, he did have that pixie dust and that impact on anyone. If you were a big star or nobody, he, he told you what, you know, what he felt. And he, was, he always kept it real. So I think... Um, yeah, man, it was it was it was nice to hear him big you up like that, you know. Yeah, no, I think that um, I think that's one thing about me and Sheldon is, you know, we always held each other at a very high regard. Um, we we always spoke very highly of each other to everybody, and I tried to send as many people his way as I could, and he sent as many people as he could my way. And you know, I slept on that couch a million times while he mixed records, and you know I, I his daughter grew up in my studio sessions you know I, I he was such a good father and that's one thing i said to sabina after he passed is her story to sheldon's wife was that um 
when I first started, I never understood why Sheldon stopped touring with his band, with mm. Busta Rhymes, all that stuff he was doing. And, you know, I heard him DJ and I like when it came to like actual techniques, I've toured with DJ Rock Raider um, and I've toured with a couple really good DJs that have like that that technique down. And Sheldon was one of them that, that I knew could do it. So I never understood why Sheldon stopped touring because all I want to do is tour. Right. Then I had kids. Yeah. And then I called him and I said, I understand. Cause I always thought it was the stupidest thing in the world that, that he stopped that. And I used to really get on him about it. Like, and then I had kids and then it was like, you know, I'm on tour and I'm flying home to go to house league hockey games. Like I'm, I'm taking flights by myself just to get back to hockey games. And to, doesn't to be, it feel great though? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm the best hockey dad in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm even better hockey dad than I am in the music business, but um i finally understood and, and i got to tell him that so that was that was something that was big because i really stayed on him about that i never understood it it's just like when my dad passed so much stuff you don't understand and then you know when something so major happens you you really do understand you know the simple things and it's like oh, okay that was all that actually mattered and that's it's difficult it's difficult but yeah yeah, listen, uh, and it's interesting because he's one of those guys where the people, the people that really knew him were um, people uh, behind the scenes in the music and, and up-and-comers. <clears throat> but if you asked an average hip-hop head that was neither of those things, hey, do you know Sheldon Moore or do you know S. Love? There might be a couple people that might know him, but, and he didn't mind that, right? Like, he liked being behind the curtain. Yeah, I think, he, I think he was quiet, quietly rich off music. Yeah in a in a very very humble way um you know i like i said to you i just opened a brand new studio i've had a couple studios in the past but every time i wanted to open a studio like i you know i went to him because i wanted to open them with him i bought three thousand square foot buildings i did all kinds of things and then i would come to him and he would never do it with me and i'd still be recording with him but i always wanted to start a business with him but he was always content within his home he was, yeah. you know, he had a he had a multi million dollar studio in his house, and that's you know, that's what he wanted, because he you, wanted to be with Sabina and he wanted to be with Sophia, and I respect that. At this point, that's what I respect most about him. He's living the dream. Yeah, you know, and that's what I said to I said to his daughter. His daughter's um she just turned sixteen, and I said to her, you know, in fifteen years you got more out of your father than some people will get in sixty years with their father because he gave you every day. And I don't want to. I don't want to give away like uh, you know. I don't want to get too personal about this, but but um, it just it feels just listening to you talk that um, your friendship with um, his wife and his daughter is probably important uh, for for you, um, but also probably really important for them too, man. You know. Yeah, I think my my father passed about six months before Sheldon passed. And um, so I think they related to what I was going through a lot. And then I think they realized, you know, I was giving them a lot of time and I, and I still, and I still try, but when it, when it, when it was fresh for them, I was trying to be there for them, but I was still trying to figure out how to be there for myself with my own stuff. So, um, but, you know, beyond this stuff, like even when, when, when I was working somewhere else, I was still really on his daughter. Like his daughter made me, I always wanted a boy. I'm a, I'm a man. I always wanted a son. His daughter made me want a daughter. And like, yeah. you know, I, I fell in love with his daughter and, you know, I just think she's, I think she's the greatest thing ever. So it's just like, 
you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think their relationship with me is very important to me 100%. And I hope our relationship is important to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean about uh, having a daughter. Um, it's uh it's a weird thing. Like I, my son is eight, my daughter's six. Uh, and um, the, uh, the, the last album that you put out in November, uh, the, it, you know, uh, the, a lot of the write-ups that I saw about it was all, was a lot about God. And um, it's interesting because I'm a non-believer, but, um, and I've told this story a few times. So if you've heard it already, people listen, I apologize for that. But when Kobe Bryant and his daughter died in that crash, that impacted me like surprisingly um, a lot. And uh, I spent, I was ruminating for a day or two about what that must have been like for Kobe Bryant in that, those 10 seconds where he's trying to his best to protect his daughter in that situation. And it just killed me. And um, it made me, uh, you know, kind of envious of people. So whenever a friend dies, ever since then, because I've had a, some death in the last couple of years, um, whenever someone passes away, I become really envious of people who believe in God because they have something that makes them feel better in that moment for a little bit. And, and I can't tell you how confusing it is for a person who doesn't believe in God to not be able to get to that place, but to be so envious of people who do believe, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, when I say, I mean, I definitely believe in a higher power. Um, and so, I mean, for, for less of a actual explanation, I do believe in God. Um, but uh, I believe I'm God. I believe that because I control my own situation. So when I say in God's hands, I mean in my own hands. Because hmm. I've always put everything in my own hands. I don't leave anything up to anybody else to get it done for me. I never have. I, I know you're probably not, but that sounds like like you, you sound kind of, and I mean this in a good way, like a 5%er kind of thing, right? Like that, that's sort of yeah, like... I understand, that, I understand a lot of that stuff. And, and I understand, um, you know, I'm around a lot of people that... that you know, believe in a lot of things that some people might think are crazy, but or new to them. But for me, I just honestly, I just believe in it that we are God, that, that you control your own destiny. And, and, you know, when you're looking for something, you need to look within. So for me, it was like I put my life in my own hands and I put my life in God's hands because, brother, I'm with you. I, I, I questioned the whole concept of God when I lost my dad. I, I, Bro, Sheldon's like one of the most pure people I've ever met. I've, I've lost my whole body is covered in people that I've lost, yeah. best friends, brothers, all kinds of stuff. But you know, not to be disrespectful to some people, some people you understand what happened because of choices that were made that were wrong. The it was a matter of time, people. Yes, yeah. and but Sheldon, no, I don't get oh. it. And, and there's tons of people like that, like you said, Kobe Bryant's daughter, Gigi. You know, all these things is some of these things you don't get. Some of these things don't make sense. And um, that's to me when when I question the concept of God or I concept the concept of somebody that's actually looking out for us, because I don't feel like anyone's looking out for me when stuff like that happens. Does it make you feel strong when you can get yourself into a place where you're like, I'm God, this is all in my control? Does it actually like. Um, because I don't think I'm 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 like that. I'm working on it, right? Like, because I, I understand that, and I understand discipline now. Everything. Um, I I just split with my wife. I'm living alone. My kids are with her, but I see them now, and uh, it's, so it's like you know I'm getting used to this whole thing. And that kind of mantra, you know, that nibbles the edges of kind of what you're talking about, where you're like, 
listen, like the only thing that controls you is you and your emotions and everything. This is all you. Something happens to you. It's not what happens. It's how you deflect and how you able to soak it in or whatever. Um, you know, is that is that something that uh, you've always sort of had within you or is this something that you kind of had to discover along the way? Because I know I didn't have that shit in me until recently. You know, no, I mean, I, I'm still struggling with that stuff because I can as, as quick as I can make something good for myself. I can make stuff real bad for myself, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very, very good at, you know, blowing up the house and then looking for my cat. Um, <laughs> that's just that's just who I am. So. <laughs> I've never heard that expression. <laughs> That's a point. It's a good one, right? Yeah, that is good. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's like it can go both ways. It, it really can, and and you know that that's not a good thing. But yeah. um, I think it's I'm I'm human, and uh, I think a lot of people are probably like that. They just won't say it as bold, where you know they're the reason that this happened to them, and it's like you know it is what it is. Sometimes I can be very disciplined, and and other times you know I slip. Yeah, me too, man. Um, I just got out of a mental. I still wear my mental hospital bracelet because I spent a stint. I, I call it a stint, like I've been there before. I haven't, but uh, you know, five days about a month ago. Um, I'll spare you the. De- I, I took too much of my prescription medication and fell into a state of psychosis. But really, at the end of the day, like in hi- hindsight's amazing because it's really just a skipping record that said that's on you, <laughs> right? Like all of it, right? Really. Um, I, I want to. I want to I want to pivot if I can just for a second because you said something that I, I think is interesting. Um, which uh, I had Julie Black on, I don't know, like two two months ago or something, and I asked her this question, and um, her mom had passed not too long ago, and I was wondering if for you, if you have found that a lot of the wisdom that maybe your pops um, bestowed upon you, a, a, a lot of that came uh, posthumously. Was that the same in your case? Do you know what I'm saying? What what's what's that word mean? It means that after he died, you were able to receive a lot of the wisdom that he that he had, or the advice or whatever that he had when he was still around. I figured out everything he said to me was correct. Yeah, Every, everything they told me was right. And what, that's what, hard. Is, what kind of things is that? Have fun, enjoy yourself. You know, the small things matter. You know to pay attention to family as much as possible, you know, not to, not to, um, you know, not to really focus on anything I couldn't control. Um, you know, pain was in your head, just there's small things like that. And, you know, there's a lot that I learned about him after he passed too. There weren't things that he taught to me. There were just things that other people, brought to light, you know, about their relationships with them. And, um, you know, I think that uh, it made me closer with my mom, which I didn't think was possible. Um, were they still know. together? Yeah, they were. They were together oh. for over 40 years. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a rarity, my friend. Most of the guys I grew up with, I'm sure it's the same for you. We grew up um, just so people know you. I think you grew up in Ajax. I, I, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I grew up in Whitby. So really the, they're touching, right? Um, and all of my friends, um, like I can count on one hand all the people that I knew that had either good dads or dads that lived with them, and we were all kind of troublemakers and we were all getting into shit. And um, and the type of friends that I or the the, the amount of friends that I had uh, that had a situation like yours where you had two parents that were still together, um, hopefully loving each other 
and their family that is so rare or at least it was in the 90s and 2000s i think it's still rare um you know i've been with my girl for um almost 10 years like married for almost 10 years we got married young um i think it's super rare but i think it's also something that's extremely important and plays a massive role in, in 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 my life behind the scenes and it's not easy to navigate that either but i learned that from my parents um how important that was and you know it's it's one thing like i think my girl is is, is you know she's more beautiful than all the girls i hire for videos but i just don't put my wife in videos like that but uh, be, beyond that not I, a nice tea fan everybody not a yeah. nice tea fan yeah. no um <laughs> but uh you know, beyond that, that doesn't even really matter because, you know, that, you know, that doesn't really help with, with life and like, you know, business or life or any of that stuff. So I think, you know, I learned a lot of that stuff from my parents, from both of them too. And, you know, I just said to my mom this morning, it's so simple. It's like this leaf stuff that's going on right now. It's like, I don't even want to talk to anybody but my dad. So it's like t- today I was trying to think cause, um, me and my mom are very emotional. So, um, as you can tell, you know, this is probably the first time I've ever cried in an interview, but, um, Oh dude, you're so tough that no one even noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I said to myself today, I'm like, all I want to do is see my dad. That's all I want right now. That's it. Just, I just two seconds. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And then I said to myself, and it was just another two seconds quick in my head for me to see my dad will be physically impossible. So, I need to spend time with my kids and do the things my dad did with me, with my kids in order to see my dad. Yeah. See, that's what I find so fascinating about you and learning this about you is that, um, cause that my, the, uh, you know, you're either a, a person that breaks the chain of, uh, hand me downs from family, um, you know, that may be negative or you add a link because it was dope. And I've always considered myself like a, a guy who breaks the chain. I don't want, I don't want anything from my dad. Right. Like, you know, he passed, and he wasn't a dad, right? Like, so I, you know, I, I need to establish, and which is, you find out when you have kids, you probably found out sort of the opposite. I'm not saying that it was easier or anything, but I didn't have like a, like a foundation of how, what a good father was. So I yeah. had to sort of like, that's gotta be harder. Yeah. It's like, make it up as you not make it up as you go. But really what, what happened was is that I fell in love with my kids and I never fell out of love with them. Um, obviously, but the, uh, you know, I just did kind of the opposite, but it was so natural. I think I was giving them what I was missing, you know, like that kind of thing. I've got a friend. I've got a friend like that. Like one of my best friends, he didn't grow up with his dad. Um, a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends didn't, but one of my friends in particular that didn't, I think he's the best father I've ever seen. And I think yeah. he did what, I think he did what you did where he seen what he didn't have. And um, he did everything in his power to not do that. And, you know, I had another friend that recently was just um, was just murdered, and he was an incredible father, incredible father, and he was, you know, he was literally willing to do anything for those kids, yeah. and he, you know, sent me voice notes regularly about how he was not envious of what I had, but he respected what I built, and he respected how I included my kids or how I included my wife or. Um, you know things like that because he was really around me so he saw a lot of stuff and um you know i i think people take it both ways i did it because i had a good example some people did it because they didn't have a good example yeah um tony yayo what was he like to work with i'm gonna do a hard pivot here because i want to get to that's, uh that's a, 
that's, that's, what, that's our pivot. Actually, wait a second. I'm going to take that pivot back because I could do that. It's my show. I'm going to retract that pivot. Was your dad a Leaf fan? Biggest. Yeah? But he was like the typical Leaf fan. He was an ass. Like, he was, you know, he 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 complained, he complained about the Leafs more than, than anybody I've ever met. Dude, but that's yeah. part of the fabric of the of Leaf Nation, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, that's part of actually being a fan. I think I might be the only one who doesn't do that. But yeah, um, yeah he was a massive, massive Leaf fan, um, you know. And I think that's where my love and my sister's love comes for hockey is is from him teaching us, taking us to games, taking me to games. I remember the, I flew my dad out to the World Juniors. The gold medal games. I flew him out to Montreal to see a couple prelim games. I took him to gold medal games here in Toronto. Me and my dad. That's like that's like my big vice. My big vice is going to like really big sporting events. Um, and that's like something where I have my best memories with him and with a lot of people. Um, now my son. So, you know, for me, that's I, I grew up doing all that stuff, going to his games, going to going to Leaf games, all that stuff. So, yeah, he was a huge Leafs fan, but he wouldn't be too happy right now. He'd be talking He'd be talking a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sports is a good connecting tissue between fathers and sons. Even my dad. Um, the first basketball game I ever saw was uh, 1991, Madison Square Garden. I saw the Knicks in heat. And it was oh, like, wow. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Rice was a rookie. Kenny Skywalker was still in the Knicks. He just won the dunk contest like the year before or something. Oh, wow. And, um, and we were sitting in not the front row where the foldies are, where Spike Lee sits, but where the press row was or is, um, then there's a little bit of carpet and then there's that row, right? And so I was sitting behind Marv Albert and shit. But then yeah. I was, uh, yeah, so, I, but the, me the memory is still cool. My dad got mad at me because I, um, I, I had a camera and I was wearing like a flight suit and, uh, and red Ewings. And I found, I just wandered, and then people just said, "Oh, that guy belongs there, I guess." And then I just sat with the cheerleaders and started taking pictures of Patrick Ewing, and then, <laughs> I, almost got, and then I almost got kicked out. So, um, but the connecting tissue of sports is, though, yeah, go ahead. That's what I mean. It's yeah, that's why some of my best memories are these sporting events. Like I took my son to Game One this year in the playoffs, in the first round against Tampa, and the the cameraman from Sportsnet turned around and he's like, you know. I'm, big fan i really liked your your raptors record you did and i said oh thank you and he said that's your son i said yeah he said i'm gonna make him famous tonight yeah. I was like, all right then the middle of the national anthem he put him on national tv and i said like you know my right now in my phone if i look i probably got like 700 text messages i've never answered probably like <laughs> 100 boy. yeah, yeah one hundred eighteen thousand emails i've never messaged back or opened but um that night when he was on tv my phone probably beeped in 10 seconds, not exaggerating, at least 200 times. And it, <laughs> that's, it was, that's a shout out to the technology for being able to singular, you know, be able to hear all those little bings. At, at a yeah, like, level. <laughs> yeah. No, just, yeah, I got exactly. You. But, you know, it was like, like those type of things and like, you know, showing, showing him these type of things where he gets to enjoy the games. And then they, they put them up on when we scored, but we only scored a couple times that night. So it was, uh, it was an interesting night, but those type of things really help, right? Yeah, they really do. Um, I'm going to play a song that you just did, and I predict that um, that people might see this if the Leafs stretch this series to seven, maybe even six. You never know. Um, but it would definitely – they would be stupid not to play it as the intro for game seven if, if it went seven. So I'm going to play the whole thing. So if you want to take a, like a two-minute break or whatever, go ahead, and, uh, and I'll see you on the flip side of this. But this is Peter Jackson's song. It's called Belief. Yes, sir. 
Okay. And it's and it's basically for the Toronto Maple Police playoffs run, and it's dope as fuck. So here you go. fine but are you able to sort of talk about what's going on with that track at all or yeah i mean i did it with the intentions of um i have a connection at uh sportsnet that i've worked with before mm-hmm. and um i reached out to them I, I did it i did it after game five in the first round because i knew we were gonna uh, advance so i did it after game five i obviously made a few changes um along the way yeah. um, that i was asked to make by different networks, um, Sportsnet included, and um, Hockey Night in Canada. And I don't think the score asked me to make any switches, but those two networks did. And then was it just the F bomb that you dropped? Or see, I said puck, and I thought it was oh. mad. I, I said, you know that. what? I think the skate blade that was like, shh, I think seriously, <laughs> I think it. Kind well, of I said, like a, yeah. when I first did it, I said the F word, and right, then. Okay. The, another engineer that I've worked with since I was a kid too is a, is another guy named Dave Sheldon, and yeah. Dave Dave told me to switch it to puck, and I'm like, bro, that's so corny. I'm not doing that. And then and then I thought to it's myself, like, it's like changing it to frig. Yeah, but every time I think something's corny and I don't do it, yeah. it works. Right. 
So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go against myself on this and I'm going to do it. And then they hit me back and they're like, yeah, this is like, you know, it's family stuff. So um, uh, the DJ actually of the Maple Leafs was like, you should probably change that. And um, so I made that change. I made another change. They asked to, I said something like lift up the cup. We made it. So the version that's like online, like on the DSPs yeah. is a little bit different from the version they all have. And I mean, they asked me, they emailed me. One of the networks emailed me and was like, they're using this and all of the bumper to breaks tonight. I had to call someone from journalism and be like, yo, what's a bumper to break? And, yeah. and then they, they, they told me, I said, they're using it in all of them tonight. And she, that's when they show the highlight of the last thing that happened just before the commercial. Yeah. People yeah. She, for people listening. Yeah. She told me, and thank God I didn't go online and, and, and post, Hey, you know, watch hockey night in Canada tonight. Cause they're using my record, blah, blah, blah. Cause then I would have felt like a real, you know, Yeah. why did they tell you why they, they, they didn't no, never I mean, me back. I mean, it's probably because we were down three, nothing. Um, yeah, but that's, oh, the so thing. did you give, did you give it to them when the series had already started? Nah, they had it beforehand. They had it. They had it beforehand. I was actually in Florida shooting a video um, before the series started. Like when Game Seven with Boston and Florida was going on, I was in. Um, I was in uh, Broward County, okay, so like around Fort Lauderdale, and um, yeah, they had it. They loved it. They, you know, everybody said all the things that that you want to hear from somebody behind the scenes with something like that. Then, you know, I was told it was going to be used, but that's the music industry, brother. That's yeah. that's literally it's like hurry up and wait, and then it never happens. Yeah, you know, um, if I if I could tell people how many times I've been promised the world and then got nothing, um, you know, I would. That's be, what uh, turns you into a god, right? Like seriously, that that's what does it. Is it, look, uh, Toronto is, is known for this. But if you ever met somebody who uh, promised you the world and then delivered the peninsula, <laughs> right? Really, um, it, it, that's a it's like a Toronto trait. It's as true as like how people back in the '90s didn't really do anything but nod their head at shows, even if they thought you were fire. It was really annoying. Um, yeah, and um, one of the lines I liked in that track uh, is is um, it, it it reminded me of a Seinfeld joke actually, um, but in a good way. Like you're like it's not about the name on the back; it's the name on the crest, and it just proves Seinfeld's bit where he's like, "It's really about cheering for laundry." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know what's funny is my son's playing. I, they call it AAA, but my son's he's basically in like a a, a very high level of hockey for a six year old. Okay. And it's pretty insane how these parents and these people take this. And and I am one of them. I don't scream too much and I don't yell at him. I stay out of his way. I'm not hard on him whatsoever. But yeah, uh, hockey parents turn into soccer coaches. It's fucking weird. It's crazy. You know? bro. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, I heard his coach say it to them. You guys aren't playing for the name on the back. You're playing for the name on the front. Oh. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I wrote it down <laughs> right when he said it. I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. Like, you know, so I hate um, to break it to you, PJ, but you're going to have to give that guy writing credit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've done some nice things for him already. That yeah. He just doesn't know I'm repaying him for that. <laughs> That's dope. Um, I want to get to the Tony Ayo stuff now, actually, because um, um, we're going to we have about what do we have? Like maybe do you have 15 more minutes? Yeah, I'm good. I'm enjoying myself. OK, cool. Um, I, You know. Talk to me about maybe in a more abstract way or in a just more overarching way. Um, if you have, because I'm assuming that you have, um, maybe I should make that assumption. But when you work with someone that you admired as an artist way back when and ended up working with them, it, Tony Ayo, I'm assuming, is one of them. Definitely. And can you yeah, give I mean, that vibe? Because I know some people, 
are all business about it. It's weird. And then others are like more personal about it to the point where you're just like, you know, like, like, you know, it's, it's just, it seems different. I always thought that that conceptually that that experience would be the same for people, but it's everyone's got their own take on it. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always been different. See, that's the thing. Like, like you and, and, and me know, I own a booking agency. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I see that I probably don't want to see. There's a lot of things I hear that I probably don't want to hear. Um, right. And that's coming to like, you know, meeting people you looked up to or, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I really love hip hop which is probably the only reason I'm still here because I really want this to work for, for hip hop. Like I really, I really believe in, in how much I love this, this genre of music. So, you know, when I first got into music and I met like Joe button was my favorite rapper. And then I met him and I'm like, this guy's an idiot. Like he's, you know, he's just, he's an ass. Like we found we our just, clip everybody. Yeah, there it is. Um, you know, but we never got along. Me and him never got along. And the thing is, I put more money in his pocket than any promoter did. And I was 16 years old. So wow. for me, it was just like, you know, for somebody to have that type of bad attitude was crazy. And I mean, a lot of people in the industry feel that way about him. Um, yeah, he's, no, not, yeah. he's not he's not a terrible. I saw his podcast once and I was like, no. <laughs> he, yeah, he's not a terrible human being, but he's not appreciative. And he's not, you know, he just, we didn't get along. He didn't, I'm not even going to lie. He didn't like me. I didn't like him. So. Yeah. You know, things like that. So then when I meet a guy like Yeo, who is, you know, six degrees of separation from the biggest hip hop artist in the world, who's his best friend, who, you know, Yeo picked up the phone and FaceTime 50, like within an hour of being on tour with me to be like, yo, you don't know what this guy's doing out here. Like, you got to you got to see what's going on. Like, you got to understand, like, yo, because you also got to understand I did something with Yeo he never done before. He did his own full tour which is, you know, when he's never gone on his own solo tour like that. So, and that's not because of me. That's because of him. That's because, you know, people wanted to see him, but I helped facilitate that. So, you know, there's a, there's a level of respect that that comes with that. Then, you know, he sees how I've got it in every market because I'm not an opening act. I'm not a, I'm not a small artist in these markets. Um, You know, I've just found a way to get more money. So I could go tour this country by myself once or twice a year, play to, you know, 150 to 350 people a night, or I could go tour with Davies and do a thousand people a night and make more money being the agent, being the promoter, being the, the, the support act, whatever it is, whatever the hat is that I have on or whatever the, the scenario me and my partner have created um, to help, you know, build Peter Jackson as an artist. So it's like, you know, these guys, appre- some people really appreciate that. And it's like, I really like Yale. Yale will call me on some of the realest stuff that's going on. He's got he's got one of my vehicles in New York right now because it was just easier for them to leave with it than it was to make them drive 16 hours and do this, that, and the third. And it's just like, I ain't going to get it yet because it's like, that's really my guy. So That's love. That's actually love. If people don't understand how serious, hip-hop artists are really serious about, like, two things sneakers and clothes uh i'm claiming that as one thing and their ride (laughs) yeah yeah and like i brought i brought lloyd banks out here for um 420 and um i did a one-off with him and yale was booked for like a meet and greet or something during the day and there's another thing hip-hop artists are really serious about and that's money and yale hit me like yo i'm pulling up tonight i'm gonna i'm gonna pop out and perform him and banks don't even do that so it's like it's not like they haven't because him and Banks are actually good friends and they do records together and they're on each other's albums and they both actually recently dropped big records with each other. But like 
for him to come pull up at that event and perform with with um banks and do it for free without asking for anything he did that because of our relationship and that's you know that's why i love yale like i did i can't lie i went the extra mile for him when he was on tour where you know the days that i could have been back in my house when we're doing shows in ontario and stuff i wasn't going to my house i was staying with them wow. because i respected them and i wanted to be around them and i wanted to make sure that they were um, taken care of yeah yeah that they were taken care of i mean you know we've got security we've got this we've got everything taken care of we've got vehicles we've got drivers we have you know everything but it's like you know yale smokes like i do so i made sure you know at all times somebody with us is is got everything we need i'm you know just really went the extra mile for him because he really made me feel like he appreciated what i was doing for him yeah and uh by the way um as both a uh pot connoisseur and a writer if you ever need a biographer who holds all the weed you just let me know yeah if you can roll blunt we're good seriously um but what's when when you put them on as the headliner guys who had to is that like really a statement about the way promoters handle things now especially in the states where they want to amalgamate like 17 acts into one uh lineup and you're just like no nah, let's take like the guys that have been around that deserve uh, a tour of their own and and just focus on that why aren't other people doing that if you found you found a formula to make money out of it is it because you do two or three of the other main pillars of that kind of operation as well, do you think? I mean, for me, there's a, there's a different reason why I do it, right? For me, it's about being an artist. It's wow. not always about money because there's, you know, there's times if I just want to make money, I'll go run some shows with Leonard Skinner. I'll go, you know, do some Slipknot shows. I'll go do, you know, some country shows in Peterborough that are going to fill up the Memorial Center. For me, For me, it's like, a lot of times, and this is why I say business is personal to me, and I know a lot of people would disagree with that that are, you know, in the certain parts of the business world. For me, it is personal because for me, it's like my business is my passion. So I'm doing a lot of things because I want to do them. Like I said to you, I, everything that I was doing when I was, a, when I was a baby was because I thought I was part of GM. So for me to get to work with these type of people or like, you know, getting to work with Dave East, like the Dave East conversation gets brought up because I'm like, yo, Dave's one of the nicest artists right now from New York. We need to do his tour. We need to bring him up because I know what people want to see. I, I, you know, I'm really tapped in on the, on, on what, what I like and what the people around me like. And sometimes that is the popular opinion. So that's yeah. how it works. I, I think that you've struck on something. And and by the way, I think that, um, I think that uh, your, your business being personal I think you've tweaked it in a way that I don't think is the thrust behind what people often mean when they say, don't do business with your friends. I think what you've done is that you've established a business and then you've invited people as an artist to artist and then a friendship formed, but the business was existing. So it's a, it's kind of a different uh, angle, right? Like, I, I don't think that, um, I don't, you know, it, it would be more like if you and Tony Ayo decided to start a label and studio together and just work together, that might, I don't know who that, that maybe that would work awesome. But I think that's what other people are talking about, but you have a really interesting way of, um, of getting there. It's, uh, you know, your monetary um, capital and your, uh, your capital as an artist, your creative capital, I guess I'd say, um, has overlapped and then stitches stuff together. And I think it's something to be proud of, you know? I appreciate that. I know some of the, I know some people that are gatekeepers in the industry don't really like it because if you really pay Good. attention, to 
fuck yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. If you really pay attention to some of the things I'm doing, and I mean, saying it like this doesn't doesn't go with what you said at the start when it says, you know, people say I'm humble, but I have a lot of control. And it's not about controlling other people's careers. It's about controlling my own. But I have a lot of control over how my stuff goes. And that's because, you know, um, of the position I'm in with the booking agency, with the promotional companies, with the grant writing, whatever it is. And, um, you know, that type of stuff, to some people, they look at it, they don't like it. Because it's like, you know, they don't, you know, some of these big grant companies don't want to, acknowledge the fact that i am going on a 65 city tour because the company i happen to own booked it but that's like the most insane thing of you're you're giving grants to build the infrastructure of these industries i'm building the infrastructure of these industries yeah yeah so it's like and you know i'm an open book nobody told me about the grant stuff the way i tell people about it i've watched you know off of me telling people about grants i've watched people get millions of dollars that, that i have nothing to do with they just go because I'm I'm opening up their minds and showing them things that other people aren't even willing to show them because they think it's a competition. But it's like, you know, your it, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. There is a lot of paper out there um, to help. Yeah, that, small that's my favorite. Out. That's one of my favorite things about the Canadian music industry. Factor is absolutely incredible. Like, I know some people actually would probably say the opposite, but I don't agree with that. Some of the people that are there are absolutely wonderful. Um, I think it's they, improved. I think it's improved yeah. from back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. The lady, the I wish I, I remember the lady's name who's running it right now, but she's doing an amazing job. Um, everybody that, that that overlooks my projects is is a one. Um, is it Meg Simsek? You might be right. Yeah. I just looked it up. I'm not smart. I just. Oh, it okay. 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 <laughs> yes, yeah, she's incredible. Um, the the lady who handles my stuff. Um, she's amazing. The guy who used to handle my stuff is amazing over there. I mean, Star Maker is pretty good to me too. Um, you know, and the other grant system, like the other, the, a lot of the other companies I'm not too familiar with, haven't done a lot of stuff with them. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something that if you're a Canadian artist and you're not entrenched in the grant systems, it doesn't but make you, any sense. Yeah, I, I, there's also a lot of grants just, um, out that you could, uh, parlay, um, that have nothing to do with music. You know, there's a, there's so many government grants that like um, look for a specific type of technology being used. Um, right now, it's AI, so you could just like you could literally have just one facet of your business that has nothing to do with the music that relies on an AI software, and you're making a certain amount of money, and you're in a certain industry, and you've been consistent for five years or whatever. They'll give you like ten million bucks to grow your company. It's weird. Like, there's so many different grants right now that uh, that that people I know that run like ad agencies, like small virtual agencies that turned that tripled their staff over the last three years, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah there's things from the pandemic. Um, we have a show coming up, so we have to split, but dude, this has been one of my favorite conversations. Um, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy. I got to get to know you a little bit. Cause, uh, you know, having Sheldon as sort of like, uh, and Sheldon and I did not see each other a lot at all, right? Like, I live in a forest in northern Ontario, right? Like, it's not, Sheldon ain't coming, like, you know, for, for weekends and shit. But um, I've known him since I was, like, 15, 16 as, like, uh, this kid. Um, and he was always very generous uh, with his, uh, you know, I would go, I would go to Nigel's basement and Sheldon would be there with the MPC and he'd uh, either make a beat or add to one. And I go in the booth and spit my my sloppy, probably little tiny bit off point when I tried to get the pocket rhymes. And he would let me leave with a cassette or a CD 
uh, after a while. Um, and and just you know, just give it to me for the love of of doing the music. Um, and uh, it's 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 really nice to talk to uh, someone on the bookend of his life that um, that knew him for you know 15 years on the other side um and knowing that he was still making people feel uh good about themselves as artists so uh i yeah. take my hat off to you for that man thank you brother uh peter jackson thank you very much man for joining us tonight i really appreciate it i appreciate you bro all right well have a good night you too. peter jackson um i'm gonna tell you the truth uh, i was a little bit <laughs> not tentative but uh, i was worried about this interview because i um you know i wasn't sure what you know, he doesn't do interviews very often let's put it that way um you know and uh and I, I i get why i know a lot of guys that are like that um and uh the fact that he said yes was good enough and i was just i just wanted to make sure i made him feel comfortable um and uh i'm so happy with how it went and uh he, he's he's exactly kind of how i imagined he would be and uh, i have a great amount of respect for him because of what he's done um with uh, his career as an artist and uh and again i think he's canada's best music entrepreneur and it's not even close that that is that is my opinion so uh big thanks again to peter jackson for coming out tonight so tomorrow it will be um it might be a, tr a triple header i don't know why i'm doing this i really don't um but at seven o'clock, we will have Mark Jordan. No, sorry, that's seven thirty. Uh, Pat Carey from Downchild. Downchild is like this famous blues band that's been around for like fucking fifty years or something. Um, so Pat Carey will be here on Friday at seven p.m. And then, and I'm looking forward to to this one uh, a lot. Not nothing. No offense to uh, to Pat Carey, but I, I I have to say Mark Jordan, who's a legendary songwriter like legendary um written for so many stars um the 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 list is is crazy it's like diana ross and Cher and shit like that like just like other stratosphere superstars um that will be at 7 30 to be perfectly honest with you i haven't decided if i am going to split that into two podcasts or just uh have one guy uh you know just just do two interviews back to back I'm not really comfortable doing interviews back to back like that with two different people that um, don't really know each other because it just seems disjointed. So what I'll probably end up doing is doing seven to seven thirty, and then at like maybe seven forty, I'll I'll do the second one, uh, or maybe I'll just maybe even seven forty five. But um, we'll see how it goes. Eric Alper, um, the uh, the the famous uh, music PR guy, um, hooked me up with this. So, and then Casual Friday at nine o'clock. So we'll see. I will either have uh, two podcasts or three that day. I, I don't know what I'm doing yet. But um, either way, uh, it, it will, it's, it's going to be dope. I have a couple of announcements to make for other people. I rescheduled uh, everyone's favorite European parliamentarian, Christine Anderson, for the 23rd of May. And uh, I have uh, Linwood Barkley, the famous uh, mystery writer, uh, who, who's got a new book out. Uh, I'll have him next week sometime. His book comes out on May 16th. I should probably just say what the book is, but I forget right now, even though I've read half of it so far. Um, his book is coming on May 16th, and it is called Never Saw Co Never Saw Coming. So um, he's such a good writer. I, I, I avoided fiction for a long time. Uh, I started... Uh, I read. I started reading nonfiction when I was in my early twenties, and I kind of never looked back. And it, it really, I've only read like two novels in the last twenty years, or something like that. 
um, which is surprising because I write creatively uh, a lot. But the 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 book is I understand why page turners are are good now. You know, it's like watching an action movie or something. Like it's it's not fluffy, but it's uh, and and it's entertaining. And and I used to be. I think I was this like stupid, ignorant, naive, accidental elitist when it came to books like i read fucking hemingway and i read fucking you know solomon gursky was here because i was like i thought it was i thought it made me something um i was i was always fascinated with the whole paris crew like uh writers in like the 50s and 60s like smoking hash and drinking wine in paris and you know pushing like hemingway over a hill because he was too drunk or something um like that for some reason i romanticized the fuck out of that shit and i read and i read uh um catcher in the rye like three or four times i was one of those guys that just really kind of related to a uh arrogant cantankerous teenager <laughs> i wonder why um but uh i i have a new appreciation because of reading uh this linwood barkley book and i'm only halfway through but i'm only halfway through in one sitting which surprised me um for a bunch of reasons one of them is that i'm not on any adhd medication anymore and i was surprised i could focus for that two hours whatever it was um but also because of the quality of writing and how uh now i kind of understand a page turner doesn't have to be a harlequin you know like the page turner could be something dope and uh which is funny because the last book i read that was a novel that i can remember reading was when i was like 23 or 24 and it was the da vinci code and uh and i felt the same way about that book I, you know, it's, it's, it's a skill. Uh, it's like sort of like writing a hit single, you know, it doesn't matter if uh, people can sing along to it and it's kind of jingly because if it hits the masses in a certain way, you know, there's gotta be something about it that connects us. So, um, these types of books are like that. Uh, Jeffrey Archer, you know, I'm told is like that as well. But anyways, so Linwood Barkley will be on probably, I would say next Wednesday, but we'll see. Um, but either way, um, big thanks again to Peter Jackson. Uh, dope conversation. Thank you again for coming, and we will see you next time on Black Ball. Black I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.